Well, this morning I have the pleasure of sharing with us and wrapping up our worship series. So we've been in a series the last several weeks looking at worship. But worship not just as singing in a space like this or a setting like this, not, not worship just singing perhaps in a small group setting, but worship as a life of praise before God. Worship as a life of praise, recognizing him in all things, recognizing his goodness and his love, even in the face of difficult circumstances, even in the face of difficult seasons of our lives. And so our journey has led us to this morning, and this morning we're considering worshiping in contentment. Worshiping in contentment. It's very fitting for this Thanksgiving week as we think about thankfulness and and gratitude and gratitude for all that we have in God. Well, my wife and I, we have a couple little kids at home, and so we occasionally struggle with contentment in our house. So needing a snack robs contentment. Or the missing hairbrush or the missing special mermaid necklace robs contentment. Or uh, not sharing toys robs contentment. Or when my son unrolls the entire roll of toilet paper into the trash can robs my contentment. (laughs) Or when my daughter almost misses the bus again robs my contentment too. So we sometimes struggle with this in our home, but there are those rare moments, and parents may understand, there are those rare moments where all is well. It might be when I get home at the end of the day, it might be a Saturday morning where the kids are playing well, they seem satisfied, they seem content. It does happen. But what's going on in those moments? Because if you've been there, those moments are almost... They're arresting. Wow, this is striking. What is going on? Everything is great. Well, what is going on? Well, the kids are apparently, evidently satisfied. They're satisfied with the space provided for them, the home provided for them, the million toys provided for them. They're satisfied with the food they've been provided with. They're satisfied emotionally. And they're even satisfied with some of the intangibles that we provide for them love and care and safety and just our presence. Well, that's my experience as a father of a couple little kids. But I wonder what God, our Heavenly Father, sees when he looks at our lives. Does he see gratitude? Does he see a grateful people? Does he see a people who appreciate his presence and his love? Does he see a people who are making the most of what he has given to them? Or, as God looks at our hearts, as he looks at our lives, does he struggle to find contentment in us? This morning we consider contentment as part of our worship before God. And there's a famous pastor and theologian of our time named John Piper And he said this, he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, the evidence of God's goodness, his love, his presence, these are almost evident in us and on display in us when we appreciate him. 
when we are satisfied in his love, when we receive his love, when we've received his forgiveness, and when we live out the purpose that he has called us to in this life. And so how often are we content in God? Not just in what he has given us, not just in what he has blessed us with, but in him, in his very self and in his presence in our lives. Well, our text that we've heard read this morning is Psalm 16. And this is another psalm ascribed to David. And we know more about David than we know about any other biblical character. And when we look at the life of David in the Psalms or in the narratives of the Old Testament, we see this life of praise. We see this life of praise before God, a constant awareness of his presence, and a constant seeking and looking to him, even in the face of sticky situations, which we've explored the last few weeks. But I think this psalm shows us this morning that David's contentment was rooted in a few key spiritual realities that are true for us, too, as we live by faith. And these three realities are first that we can be content because God is enough. Because God is enough for us. Secondly, we can be content because God is with us. He has given us his very self by his spirit. But then last and thirdly, we can be content because God is our eternal hope. So we look not just at this life. We don't have hope just for this life, but we have hope for eternity. And so I hope to show us this morning these things are true for us too, and we can root our satisfaction in God in these things this morning. Let us first pray as we turn to the word. God, help us to know this morning that we are rich in you, that we can be satisfied in you, God. I pray that we would treasure you above all else this week. Lord, if we're struggling with contentment or with satisfaction in this life, God, I pray you would stir us in a new way to see all that we have in you and who you've called us to be. God, help us to be a grateful people. Help us now as we look to the word to be open to you and to what your spirit wants to do in us today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we can be content because God is enough. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 16. David says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. But notice this, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. We have here in verse 4 allusions to the rituals of idolatrous worship. David and the people that he governed in Israel were well aware of all of the pagan gods that were on offer in their time, in their place. These may have been the gods of the former inhabitants of the land that they, had, that they were now occupying. This may have been the gods of their pagan neighbors around them. But there was plenty. There was plenty on offer. And so if at any point they felt a little insecure or a little fearful, they could just seek by all for the fertility of the land, for the rain. Or if they were a little fearful and secure, if God may not have been enough in their mind, they could seek and pray to Asherah for the fertility of the land and the fertility of the women. And so these were tempting at all turns for them. And as we see throughout the Old Testament, they often bent 
to the temptation, and they often sought after other gods. But David, we see here, and the faithful ones that he describes in this text, they kept Yahweh, they kept the God of Israel, the God above all gods, the Lord above all lords, as their singular focus and their singular loyalty. Well, in our own lives, in our own hearts, we too can be sometimes kind of tempted by this God and type of approach to life. Like, God, I'll be content with some of you and a great career. Or, God, I'll be content with some of you and great kids. Or, God, I'll be content with some of you and recognition in the community. Or, great education. Or whatever it may be for us. But as we look at our lives, the content posture says, God, you are enough. God, I don't need all the other layers, all the other gods, all the other idols to feel secure, to feel purposeful, to feel meaningful, to feel valued and loved in this life. You, God, are enough. I look to who you say that I am. And this is not to say that we shouldn't pray sometimes for our circumstances to change. Maybe it's our relational status. Maybe it's our professional life, our work life, whatever it may be. This is not to say we cannot pray for things to shift there. This is not to say that we shouldn't work hard and try to excel and be excellent. But we have to ask ourselves, if I don't achieve my goals, if I don't experience my desires, Do I still have a sense of meaning and purpose in my life? Because you belong to God. If I don't get married, can I still experience all that God has for me in that station of life? If I don't get into the right school, can I still live with a sense of meaning and purpose? Because I look to who God says I am and the life that I have in him. And then if God does bless us with the desires of our heart, if God does give us success and accomplishment, will we give credit to him that those things flow from his goodness in our lives? As children of God, by faith, we have utmost significance. The scriptures in the story of the Bible tells us that God loves us, that he has reconciled us to himself by our faith in Jesus Christ, that he has forgiven us of our sins as we seek him and trust in him. And not only that, he has called us to partner with him in his kingdom purposes in this world. And so there's no greater meaning than that. There's no greater significance than that life that he offers to you. So David is content first because God is enough for him. He kept his loyalty singularly focused on God and didn't run after other gods. And God is enough for us. His word is enough to lead us into a life of godliness. But there's a second reason I I see here. And the second reason out of which David's contentment and satisfaction in God is born is that God is with him and God is with us. Look at verses 5 through 8. David says, Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
The images and the words that David uses here, he says things like, you'll notice, my portion, my cup, my lot, my inheritance. Lots of these words and phrases harken back to this division of the promised land that the people of God lived in. The land was divided according to tribe, and that was their inheritance as part of their special covenant with God. We're talking about David here. As we consider David's contentment in these verses, I don't know about you, but it might be tempting to say, easy for you, David, king of Israel, one who had a special covenant relationship with God that your throne would last forever, mighty warrior, chosen one. He had all resources, all armies available to him. So you might say, this is easy for you to say, David, because you're on top. But what does he do? Notice what David does. He takes the language of inheritance. He takes the language of very physical, material things that God would bless his people with. And he applies them to God himself. God was his portion. God was his prize. God was his lot. He valued and treasured his presence. It's because the reality is that we can be poor and have as much of God as we want. There's no ceiling. There's no limit to that. We can be poor in spirit and experience God in abundance in our lives. This David, he describes a God who counsels him, who is at his right hand, who is with him. Do you value the fact that God is with you? Do you treasure him? Do you love his presence? Do you seek him? And if you treasure him, how do you express that? Do you spend time with him? Do you pursue him? Do you pursue him above all else? So our contentment, friends, by the faith this morning is rooted in these realities that God is enough for us. Secondly, God is with us, that he is our portion. He is our prize. He is our inheritance. But lastly for this morning, contentment comes from knowing God as our eternal hope. Knowing God as our eternal hope. Pick up in verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So as we've seen in this series, David may in fact have had a real sense that God would save and preserve his actual life. Because as you may recall, he was often on the run. He was fleeing from people that were after him. But David is also eternally minded here as well. He pictures life in God's presence eternally. But what's most amazing is that these verses here are actually a prophetic word. These are a prophetic word. What's a prophetic word? What am I talking about? Well, in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is poured out in a powerful way on the disciples, and when the gospel and when the wonders of God are preached to all the people that have gathered there from the uttermost parts of the earth, a guy named Peter a disciple of Jesus gets up. And he's, they're, they're trying to make sense of this moment. Some think that the people are drunk. 
Others are saying, no, this is God. This has been prophesied from centuries before. Peter gets up, he addresses the crowd, and he says that these very verses are a prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Peter talks about the, uh, the ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And then he says these things. Pick him at Acts 2.24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Peter goes on to interpret in a sense, what's been said. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And so this promise, this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the eternal one, the resurrected one. 1 Corinthians 15 describes Jesus as the first fruits, the pioneer, the forerunner of new creation, the forerunner of resurrection. And by faith, we follow him. By faith, we one day too will reign and live forever with God. We will be raised to life with God. This life here on earth that we have, even though we worry a lot about it, even though we try to collect things to make it livable and doable, even though we stress over a lot of things, this life is but a moment. Beyond this life, there is an eternity. And our hope is that we do not receive what our sins deserve, which is eternal destruction but rather by faith we receive eternal life with God. And this is the hope that David had. This is the hope that we can have to sustain us and to give us satisfaction in God. So we are content. We are satisfied because God is enough. God is with us. He is our portion. He is our prize. He is our treasure. And God is our eternal hope that one day we will be raised with him. A few weeks ago, we had kind of a funny thing happen in our house. This was one of those family moments that would make the blooper real. And it was the end of a long day, and I was preparing to get ready for bed, and I was going to get in bed and read or whatever. And apparently, as it turns out, I have this tendency to just sort of flop into bed, to kind of throw myself into bed. Because as soon as I did that, crash, the bed breaks underneath me. Now, this is a sort of a cheap Ikea particle board kind of bed that we bought, you know, several years ago, shortly before we were married. And it turns out that the side rail of the bed had busted loose from the headboard. 
And so it's late at night. You know, I'm not going to just deconstruct the whole bed and take it away. And so I just kind of shimmed it up with a few scraps of wood and got to a perfectly right height, balanced out the slope that had occurred in the mattress. So it was all good. We were good. A couple of weeks later, same type of deal, end of the day, unwinding, getting ready to settle down. And this time I sit on the foot of the bed. Crash as soon as I sit on the foot of the bed. So at this point, it's like, okay, what's going on? Like, I can't band-aid this one anymore, unfortunately. And so it's 1030 at night, and as much as I didn't want to, we broke the whole bed frame down and carried all the pieces away. And then, of course, you know, it's late, right? Like, what are you going to do? I just, we just lay the box springs and lay the mattress down on the floor. Like, all right, we got a bed. And, um, of course, there's some frustration. And then, the, you know how there's, like, frustration and laughing at the same time, you know, those moments. Well, so as soon as that sort of wore off, I looked at the bed on the floor, and I looked at my wife, and I said, what more do we need? We got a mattress. We got a place to rest. We got a place to lay our head down and sleep. Who needs a frame, really? We're good. And it's still that way, by the way, actually, these weeks later. What's the point? The point is that there's times in our life when we don't feel like everything is in place. There's times in our lives where we feel like the frame is kind of missing or missing some pieces. Not everything is in place that we would like. Not everything professionally. Not everything relationally. Not everything financially. But just like our bed without a frame, as we trust in and follow God, we still always have a place to rest. There's always a place to lay our head down. There's always a place to rest and be restored in him. Sometimes we don't need the whole frame that culture may say that we need or that our own standard may say that we need. But we always have a place to rest in him. We rest because our greatest treasure is God himself. We rest because he is enough. His word is enough to lead us in a life of godliness. We rest because he is our inheritance, not just the things that he blesses us with materially. And we rest because we know that our eternal destiny is secure in him. That we don't get what our sins deserve, which is eternal destruction, but instead we get eternal life with him. We rest secure in this. And this week... Many of us are going to gather with friends, family. You may even share what you're grateful for as you're gathered there for Thanksgiving. But I challenge you and I challenge myself this week to pursue a soul level of gratitude. In your soul, do you treasure God? Do you treasure his presence? Do you treasure his love and his nearness in your life? So yes, share gratitude for all the other right things. Your health, perhaps, your job, your kids, your family, whatever it may be, share those things. But are you grateful for God himself? Are you grateful for his presence in your life? 
some of us, when we think about my soul, what do you mean my soul? I, you know, I don't, we're pretty bad at actually attending to our soul. We're so busy. But if you're like me, you need to train yourself to go there. Train yourself to go to that deep place. And we can take cues from David elsewhere where he says in Psalm 131-2, I have calmed and quieted my soul. So this week, say, soul, be quiet. Be still. And know that he is God. Psalm 103-1, David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. So say to yourself, soul, bless the Lord. Praise God. Go to that deep place with him. Are you grateful for him? Are you satisfied in him? This week we have an opportunity, as we do every week, to express our worship in contentment. Express our worship in satisfaction in God. Knowing that he is most glorified in us, we're in that place. And so I challenge you to find that place within yourself. And worship him with contentment because we know that no matter what life looks like, no matter what our circumstances are, our situation is, by faith we always have a place to rest in him. Let us pray. Lord, teach us and train us and help us in this, God. Lord, I pray you would stir a satisfaction in you, God. I pray that every heart in the room would receive your love, receive your forgiveness, receive your invitation this week. Lord, be glorified in us as we find our satisfaction in you. God, help us to turn away from distractions, turn away from things that make us feel like pieces are missing, and to find rest in you. We thank you for that. Give us courage for this this week. In Jesus' name, amen.